Being heard doesn't happen by accident. There's a science and an art to it. And I'm excited to have my guest today share insights on how we can raise our profile in whatever environment we find ourselves in. Catherine Johns joins me. She's a veteran radio host, speaker, and communication coach that helps people grow their power and presence in their interactions. Now, I also have something I want to highlight before I get started with the interview with Catherine. On November 13th, that's Friday, November 13th, depending on when you're listening to this, Catherine and I are going to be hosting What Do You Say and How Do You Say It? This is a NSA Illinois, National Speakers Association, Illinois chapter seminar. It's open to anybody. You don't have to be a member. But it's focused on tools for improving how we craft and create our messaging and how we deliver that message to the audience. I hope you'll join us. You can check it out at nsa-il.org. And I'll have a link in the bio that you can go straight to. Catherine's got great insights, great stories, and I'm looking forward to sharing my conversation with Catherine with you right now. Let's get started. Well, in today's episode, I'm very excited to have a special guest with us today, Catherine Johns. Catherine, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Dean. I'm delighted to be here. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk with you is about how you help people to really boost their confidence in their communication. And when we think about companies or organizations, it's really easy for us to see that the person with the loudest voice is the one that really gets listened to. And inside organizations, we've got a tremendous amount of talent and insight that often doesn't get heard. If I'm one of those people that isn't real forward with my ideas, isn't really pushing myself, what are some things that I should really be thinking about and considering? So it's an interesting question, Dean, because there are a lot of talented people whom I describe as being overlooked and underheard. They have good ideas, they have brilliant analysis, and as you describe, they just don't get the attention. Now, some of that is because we work with people who should be more attentive. I mean, there is that. And yet we can't really wait for that to happen. We kind of have to take the bull by the horns. And so my, uh, my best clients are the people who have felt overlooked and underheard, and they're ready to do something about it. So they're tired of being in the background and ready to sort of step forward, not in a pushy, obnoxious way, but in a I'm here and I have good ideas way. Well, I guess maybe the first question is, is some of the self-awareness. And that is, how do I know if maybe my ideas or my voice in the company isn't really being heard? So you're in a meeting and other people get called on and you don't. Other people get credit for your ideas. And that happens to people a lot, Dean, where they'll say something in a meeting and then somebody else will pick up that thread and it winds up being the other person's project instead of yours. So when you see things like that happening, you know that you need a higher profile and it's your responsibility to carve that out for yourself. You know, it's rare. Once in a while, you'll run into a situation where some really, really nice senior person reaches out their hand and becomes a mentor and helps people show up and shine, to coin a phrase. But mostly, if we want to show up, we have to be the one showing up. We need to do the work. 
Now, one of the things I've noticed in my coaching and working with people and even in myself that sometimes there's a, a kind of a voice in our head that says, you know, don't brag, don't be overly confident, you know, be humble. And that kind of software is running in the background. Um, how, how prevalent is that uh, in people's minds and, and what do we do with it? I think it's very prevalent. And I'm going to say, especially for women, um, certainly there are men who are diffident like that too, but it's really common for women to keep a lower profile and it doesn't serve us well in the long run. And we may have learned, well, here's an example. It's a visual, but go with me on this. I have a picture on Facebook as my cover photo right now of my third grade Sunday school class, the Sunday that we got our Bibles printed with our names on them. There are two rows of boys standing up and one row of girls seated in front with our ankles crossed and our hands folded in our laps. That's how we learned to show up in public, small and taking up as little space as possible. That doesn't serve us well as adults in business. Now, sometimes our mindset can be some of that reluctance is like, well, it's, I, don't want, I don't want to make this all about me. Is there a way we can shift our thinking, still show up and shine, you know, grow our voice without feeling like, oh, I'm just trying to make it all about me? Well, sure, it shouldn't be all about me. The most important language in the world is language about you, whoever you are, right? People's favorite word is their own name, and a close second would be the word you. So I'm all for putting the focus of my words on somebody else. But I'm really talking more about sort of the aura that we bring into a meeting. I don't mean, I don't want to be new agey, but you know, we have a, a vibe or an aura. You pick up a feel about somebody. I can be as interested in you as possible without being self-effacing or turning myself into a doormat. Not to get into you know woo-woo stuff here, but you know, I think you're well, go ahead. something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's this vibe, right? There's this there is this sense that people have. And you talk about charisma and how does charisma fit into that? And what makes charisma maybe different than simply being bold? Or or what is it about it that we can begin to develop more of our charisma in those situations? I think, you know, charisma has to do with how we're perceived. And it is very hard to define. People have been trying for years. But it's about being noticeable and memorable, but not obnoxious. And, and having a certain presence that people remember later that you were there. So they're not scratching their head going, was she in that meeting? They know you were there because there's something noticeable about you. It doesn't mean you're chest beating or standing up and demanding attention or showing off, but you're not overlooked either. And that has partly to do with your physical presence in a room. So something that would help me is if you had an example, a person in your mind where you've seen really make this transformation and sharing some of the, you know, whether it's thought processes, exercises, behaviors that they begin to work through so that they kind of begin to see how they could be more charismatic or show up uh, as a bigger person inside an organization. So a big piece of it is the physical body. I mean, we really overlook that because we get caught up in thinking and feeling and trying to manage our thoughts and our feelings. 
And really, charisma doesn't happen about thinking and feeling. Charisma comes from my physical presence in the room. So that means being grounded and centered, showing up, taking up space, not hiding, not folding in on myself. Just here's an example. I was in a meeting once with a group of women. It wasn't a business meeting, but the same stuff goes on in business meetings all the time. I looked around the circle and there were men sitting there with their feet planted, their knees a little apart, taking up space. They looked like they belonged. Everything about them said, I belong here. I have something to say that's worth hearing. And every one of the women, except me, of course, was sitting with ankles crossed or one foot propped up underneath them in the chair and little tiny voices, because when we're not grounded, our voices get small too, and hunched in with their shoulders pulled in and maybe their head down. So it was as if they were trying not to be noticed and they succeeded. So a big piece of it is, am I willing to show up? You know, lately, Dean, this is a real pet peeve of mine because we do so much of our work virtually now. People come to a meeting on Zoom and turn their camera off. Please, you cannot complain about being overlooked if you're not willing to be seen. Step one, turn on the camera. Look us in the eye, which means looking through the lens of the camera, of course, when we're meeting virtually, and look like you're engaged and interested and want to be there. If you're hiding in a corner, you're going to be overlooked. Well, the whole virtual meeting thing was going through my mind, so I'm glad you brought that up because this is a really different dynamic. And do you see it uh, Do you see it as a potential advantage or a potential disadvantage for people that maybe have felt um, a little less willing to be forward with their ideas or a little less bold? Mm. I'm, I think it's, a, I, I don't think it's a net positive or negative. I think on Zoom as in person, if you want your ideas heard, first and foremost, you have to be willing to say them. And there are a few things that make it more likely that people will hear you and remember you. And ironically, one of them is saying less. So here's what I mean by that. We have a tendency when we're not sure about what we're saying or we're not sure how it's being received or we're not confident about, we kind of go on like this the way I'm doing now where we run one sentence into another and then we kind of loop back and repeat ourselves because what if they didn't really understand or they weren't listening? They might've missed it. So we say it all again. Nobody is interested in all that. And we actually diminish our impact when we overstate, right? Fewer words are more powerful than more words. And so we say just enough. Uh, something I tell my clients all the time is say it once, say it well, and zip it. And when you hear yourself saying, so again, don't. We don't need to hear it again. We got it the first time. We, we diminish the impact of our words when we keep going on and on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, certainly they get diluted. And people start checking out with it. Yeah. Whether you're listening to a speaker or a sermon or whatever it is, you've heard people on Zoom calls go off on tangents and you're thinking, I don't even remember what the question was. And so that takes a lot of self-awareness, a lot of discipline to be able to have your thoughts worked out when you share them. That is, um, I think, maybe a superpower right now of being able to communicate clearly in a digital space because so much of our maybe traditional 
tools for communication uh, have been taken away uh, compared to that in-person dynamic? I mean, I guess, you know, on a Zoom call, we don't even have to be wearing pants and people still think we're professional. You don't have that opportunity in, in the office. How do we um, maybe make up for some of those uh, ways of communicating on uh, that digital platform? You're saying, sit up confidently, look at the camera, speak simply and clearly. What else should I keep in mind for uh, that digital conversation so that I can be charismatic and confident? So this is true in, in real life also, but particularly on these virtual platforms. As I said, less is more for sure. And more powerful language will punch through. That means shorter words, shorter sentences, definitive language. If you hear yourself hedging, so kinda, sorta, maybe, all of that kind of language, that diminishes our impact anytime, but especially on a virtual platform where we already are challenged to have impact. You want to really watch for that kind of language that dilutes your point. Minimizing words. I just want to say, well, I'm only thinking, I have a little idea. This is a thing that women do, Dean. I, I Honestly, you'll almost never hear a man describe anything about himself as little, but women do it all the time. I have a little idea. I'm just working on a little project. There's this impulse to minimize what we do. And if we tell people our work is small, they'll believe us. Yeah, it's up to us to have the most belief in what we're doing, right? Absolutely. And so so those are some habits that can be easily developed. I worked with a guy one time who said, kind of. So I kind of want you to get with the team and kind of work out a plan where we can kind of start getting together. Like every other sentence had kind of in it. That kind of softening diminishes the impact of everything he says. <laughs> I kind of want to get married. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's very reassuring to the prospective spouse. <laughs> well, so a thought I just had as you were talking is, you know, certainly self-awareness is a big part of being able to grow. And in a business meeting or a, maybe you're on a board of a nonprofit or you're in some sort of a work group, typically it's hard for us to be able to see ourselves objectively, right? We're we have this movie playing about how we think we look and we're justifying all the things we're saying and all the things we're doing. But with the online, depending on certainly the work situation or the environment you're in, we might have a uh, an opportunity now to actually, even though we don't like hearing our voice and seeing ourselves, but if it's okay, if it's approved, to be able to record ourselves in that interaction, to be able to get a new objective view. What are your thoughts on that? I think if you're not turning on Zoom, recording something and looking at it, you're really missing an opportunity. So yes, if you can look at a recording of an actual meeting, a, something real, fabulous. If not, get your own Zoom account. You know, you can get a not, uh, if you can use it for free for a limited amount of time. And make a recording and listen to yourself and look at yourself. You know, I used to tell my clients, call yourself and leave a voicemail. Well, now we can go way beyond that because we can do video too. But people often don't like to hear their own voice or see their own face. I mean, I took a whole video workshop just to get over myself about thinking I have a great face for radio. Well, and, and it's when we go out and do those 
things we don't really want to do that we really grow. And you mentioned radio. Um, tell me about some of the maybe transformations you experienced in your radio career when it was just you and a microphone and you had to really bring things to life. So I was really fortunate early in my career. Midwesterners will remember Larry Lujak, who was a disc jockey in the 70s and 80s. And I worked with him. I did the morning news on his show in the 80s and learned so much because really before that, I did the news and that was it. And then when they created more of an ensemble show to be entertaining and I had a bigger role, I had the opportunity to practice things and to learn a lot. And some of the things we've already talked about are things that I developed then, like say just enough and stop talking. Larry was a genius at that. Typically, morning DJs, all kinds of radio people, but especially those morning jock guys with the pukey voices, they go on and on and on. They, they, can't, they can't resist the opportunity to try to get one more laugh. And so they keep pushing the bit until it falls apart and it's not funny anymore. Larry knew exactly when to let it go, when to just stop. And I think that's a lesson that most of us in terms of business communication can benefit from. And the other thing was the pause. You know, in radio, they call that dead air. It is my contention, Dean, that the air is not dead. The air is alive if you're doing your job communicating. And the pause gives weight to your words, draws the ear toward what you're saying, and it also just exhibits tremendous confidence. When you can stand in front of an audience or sit on a Zoom call and say nothing, even for a moment, you come across as being cool as a cucumber and completely in command. And it is an underutilized tool because people are terrified of a moment of silence. That's a moment of silence there, Dean. Well, and I didn't interrupt it either. <laughs> no, that is powerful. You know, they say the silence is, is deafening. And from my background in sales, I found that silence was a tremendously powerful tool. And most people struggled to really not talk. And I think whether you're on a work team, uh, you're in a leadership situation, it's all about sales because it's all about influence and rapport and being able to have enough self-confidence, comfort with two or three seconds. On its surface, two or three seconds sounds like a very small amount of time, but it's an eternity, uh, especially now in, in these Zoom meetings. Yeah, it's something really worth practicing getting comfortable with. Um, and one other thing I would add about from the radio ensemble show is before that era, um, radio meant one guy, and it was almost always a guy, being funny in between records in a really loud, abrasive kind of way. And, and then they said, well, we should have the news people interface with Larry. Uh, Larry, I will just say, didn't want to interface with anybody. But we created an ensemble that worked. And that, of course, has become the model. I mean, all morning shows now have an ensemble. In terms of working with people, being willing to be part of an ensemble is a really useful skill to have and being good at that. So I emerged in that era in Chicago radio as a partner, 
not an equal partner to be sure, but nevertheless, a partner in the WLS morning show. There were a ton of women who came and went in the same time and didn't carve out as big a role because the person they worked for didn't set that up. So people who are really good at what they do and really confident about doing it are usually willing to share the spotlight, for lack of a better word, with other people. And when you can develop that kind of uh, back and forth, repartee, whatever you want to call it, it makes for more interesting radio, but also for a much healthier work environment because everybody's ideas get counted. So it's hard to force your way in to somebody else's show, but the smart people who are running a show or a department or a team invite full participation and make space for that. Well, and that's a key point. So I might find myself in a meeting or an environment where that's not the case. But if I'm a leader listening to this and I'm responsible for, mm -hmm. you know, guiding conversations, um, putting meetings together, getting decisions made, what are some of the key things that I need to be mindful of? Or even that I can kind of take stock in myself of how good am I at leading that type of an environment that brings people to the table in their ideas, making it easier for us to get to those things that we need to hear. I think part of it is creating space. When you hear yourself talking for a long time, you should stop. <laughs> I mean, it really, like, I know how we can get wound up. I get wound up. I get enthusiastic about the topic or the person I'm talking to or the audience, and I can go on and on. Nobody wants to hear all that. They want to hear a little bit of it, but that's one thing to create that self-awareness of when have I said just enough. A really good key is when you hear yourself saying, so again, don't. In other words, we don't need other words. So really become conscious of how long you go on or how much you say and ask more questions. What, uh, what kind of questions? Expand on that. That was an excellent one right there. Expand on that. Um, I think very often, especially strong leaders who are confident in their own work, even though they trust their team and they're interested in other people. I mean, I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm saying they get caught up in their own stuff and go on and on and on. And if you stop and ask a question, inviting somebody else's participation, and I guess the classic is it shouldn't be a yes or no question because it'll get a yes or a no. <laughs> exactly. Would you agree with that? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes if you can come out of a out of a with come up with a question that's a little bit out of left field, it jostles the energy in the room, yours and theirs, and and it can uh, generate some creativity and interest. Um, so it could be you know, please say more about that. That's a fine way to do it. But some other kinds, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, and I can't, so I'm taking myself off the spot for now. I'll come up with it as we talk. But asking a question that invites somebody to go further um, can be really, really helpful. And it generates much more interesting conversation. And people thrive. So this is about being willing, let me, let me go back to my Larry Lujak story again. 
I, I wrote an article actually about working with him. And one of the things I wrote about was his willingness to take the spotlight of the morning show and shine it on somebody else. Not everybody will do that. Some leaders need to be in the spotlight themselves and will even elbow other people out of the way. But when you have the confidence in your own strength and ability to put the spotlight on somebody else, two things happen. They shine, but so do you. It's reflected on on you. So that's a thing for leaders to keep in mind. How often do you put the spotlight on somebody else on your team? Earlier, you mentioned the word confidence. A leader might be confident in the meeting, but sometimes, uh, and and what I hear you saying is the most confident leader has the least need to have that spotlight on them. They're most willing to elevate others first, and it ends up increasing their influence even more because they don't have to have it on them. That's exactly right, because it reflects back on them really well. You work with lots of individuals, lots of organizations. If you had a magic wand and you could wave it and make something happen, one thing changed that would radically improve people's ability to connect and understand, what would you change? Oh, my. I I would wave my magic wand and and help everybody be in their physical body fully present for every interaction and especially their business interactions so i talk a lot about presence dean and we can't think our way to presence we can't feel our way to presence presence is a it's being present duh here in the room feet on the floor butt in the chair fully occupying my space, breathing. And so often I see people in meetings. I was talking earlier about all the women with their feet up off the floor, but I see people hunched over, leaning sideways, their heads down. Everything they're doing works against full physical presence. And I think when we start from a standpoint of being physically present here in the room with you, right now, everything can change. Well, it's, it's a remarkable experience because you know when people are present when they're not. Even if it's not obvious, you get a sense of it, going back to that kind of aura, that, that feel that you get. And you've got the next person who is worried about uh, an email that came in or they're writing notes down for their next meeting. They're not fully present. And it's really hard to be influential and to really connect with people. I mean, you could take three times as much time not being present and still not have the connection compared to having that interaction with somebody for five minutes when they're fully present can really stick with somebody. And I think to your point, I think it is challenging, maybe now more than ever, because we do so much of our work virtually and we imagine that people don't know if we're present because you can't see me. So I could sneak a look at my email or get on LinkedIn and make a quick post or whatever I might want to do. People can hear it in your voice, whether you're present or not. They can sense it. So even when they can't see us, we, we make a stronger impression when we actually show up and are willing to be seen and heard and hear. No hiding, Dean. I'm, I'm really against hiding. No hiding. You want to see their eyeballs. 
Well, yeah, in a perfect world, but here we are. I I can't see your eyeballs, Mm -hmm. and yet I have a sense that you are listening to everything I say, that you are thinking about some of it and responding in a way that reflects uh, some depth. You know, if, if anybody believes in speaking without seeing, it should be a woman who spent 25 years in radio. Part of my conviction is that whether people can see you or not, they sense whether you're present, they sense your connection to them, they sense your engagement, and, and we communicate all of that, ideally with body language, but when there is no body language to be seen, body language can be heard. Here's, here's what I mean. So I am oddly lo- looking at the camera on my laptop, even though this is not, there's no video here, but I've sort of developed that when I'm working in front of my computer, that's where my person is, right through yep. the camera. And that's where I direct my eyes and my energy. And I believe they feel that. So when I was in radio, it took me a while to figure out how I did this because people asked about it. I was like, I don't know, you just sit there and talk, right? But no, I actually had a mental image of people that I was talking to. And when, like, so I was a talk show host, right? And there's 10 lines in the studio. Let's just say line three is on the air. And it's Nora from North Aurora. Isn't that great? That was a real listener. It's a perfect name. So I'm talking to North Aurora Nora. I've never met her. I've never laid eyes on her. But I am looking at that blinking light for line three and seeing an image of Nora. So my energy is directed toward her. And I believe people feel that energy. That's important because you can speak much easier to a person than to people. We, even when you're on stage, right? Your, your message is to a person, even if there's 5,000 people in the audience. Always, always. And it is a very challenging thing in coaching speakers to help people get to that, that sense that, yes, there are 5,000 people in front of me and I need to connect with each one of them one at a time. And I do that with eye contact, which is why I have such a fetish about eye contact, and with my voice and with this sense of connection that develops between individuals. It really is not possible to connect with a whole group of people at once. I connect with them one at a time. And and certainly when we work virtually, people are not sitting shoulder to shoulder in a conference room or a hotel ballroom. They're sitting at their desk or their kitchen table or on their couch listening to you and maybe watching you, depending on the platform. So you are speaking to a group, but they're hearing just you. I, was, I spoke about this last week, and I used the example from the um, political conventions. So, And this is not about who you vote for. I don't care about that. But just in terms of communication style, if you'll think back, the Republican National Convention there was Kimberly Guilfoyle. She came out and gave a really big speech on a big stage with flags behind her, the room mostly empty, but a big room. And her facial expressions were big and her gestures were big and her voice was loud. And it was a little overwhelming. And people often said, kind of scary. Contrast with Michelle Obama. 
at the Democratic convention, sitting at her desk, talking to me. And I'm going to bet that you thought she was talking to you because she had that tone and that set and everything was designed for that, that it was a sense for the people listening, millions of them, she's talking to me. I think that tone works well, even when you're speaking in real life, but certainly on virtual platforms, that sense of connection or maybe even call it intimacy, serves us really well because people are by themselves as they connect with us. Yeah, it seems like a difference between a conversational approach and a presentational approach. Um, And that conversation is engaging to us. It feels like we want to, we're asking ourselves questions as you're speaking and we're having this conversation in our head and that's very engaging in itself. It's not forcing me to pay attention. It's drawing me into you. Yeah. Um, The analogy I used when I spoke about it the other day was you don't want to be a furnace. It's not forced air shoving out at your audience. Be a radiator. So it's a glow that draws them in. I love that. So as we pull the pieces together and we, we think about these situations in our lives where we might feel overlooked or underheard, what's something that you really, really, really want people to take away and keep in mind as we, you know, grow our confidence and build our charisma. Be willing to be seen. Take up space. That is first and foremost, be willing to take up space. And I say that as somebody who found it very challenging, Dean. For a long time, all I wanted in the world was to be smaller. And so I sat kind of pulling myself in and folding myself over. Well, when I pull myself in and fold myself over, um, it doesn't make me thin. (laughs) It makes me round. But that's not really what I'm going for, is it? And so developing the confidence to really show up and occupy your space fully, whether you're a big person or a small person, a man or a woman, doesn't matter. So that's the first thing is take up space. And then once you're grounded, use that energy, that physical energy to connect with the people that you're talking to. That's tremendous. And sometimes we first have to do the feeling big before we do feel big. So being okay with taking up more space and sometimes then our maybe self view will catch up to our physical presence. Oh, almost always. I think that's exactly right. It, if I sit around and try to make myself confident so I can take up space, uh, I'm going to have a big challenge. Mm. But if I start taking up space so I can feel more confident, the feelings will come around. Catherine, this is so insightful and so helpful. And if people want um, more of what you work on, what you talk about, your book is Show Up and Shine. How do they keep in touch with you? What what should they know if they want more of what you have? They should find me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. I post five days a week about business communication, and I love it when people engage with me there. So by all means, do that. Uh, my website is Catherine at Catherine Johns, or my email is Catherine at CatherineJohns.com. My website is CatherineJohns.com. Don't go there right now because I'm 
redoing my website and have been, have I mentioned my procrastination problem? (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway, really needs a redo, which is in progress and has been for a long time, but there's a contact form there. So if you wanted to find me, you could. Awesome. This has been an absolute pleasure, Catherine. I'm so excited that you were able to join me for this program and share your experiences and insights. And it's always a pleasure and it's always informative when we have a chance to have a conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you, Dean. It's been a pleasure talking with you. All right. And have a great week. You too. Bye.